Full Harvest, a collection of audio stories and poems inspired by the landscape of the South Downs National Park. Episode 9, Dear Wellsbourne, Brighton Rocks, by Mary Williams. Dear Wellsbourne, Ghost River. One world ends, the Ice Age then... The landscape begins rearranging itself. Hunter-gatherers adapt to global warming. Hawthorn oak now grow where land was flat. And you appear, a finger traced down the valley of the Earth's back, where glacial frigidity unlocks itself from the shore's stony buttocks. Everything fluent, wild, unofficial, ripe. For touch. Brighton Rocks Part 1 From Middlesbrough to Pool Valley, 1999 One of these days is going to be the day. Neil does not know this yet, the moment which will distinguish it from all the preceding yet. But today, the coach pulls into Brighton. Eleven long hours all the way from Middlesbrough most of those overnight, nursing cramps. He rises from his seat, uncrumples his knotted limbs, clambers down the metal steps, breathing the faintly salty air of Pool Valley. A queue forms by the luggage hold. He thinks he's standing on concrete. But below that is ancient chalk, as if he is writing his dreams on the vision board of possibilities with each new step. Also below ground, a stream, supposedly dead and buried, culverted, they call it, but continually rising up in this southeastern city's psyche. She's there, Bex, the old friend whose arms and sarky put-downs Neil misses whose fold-out couch he borrows on every visit to this vibrant town. It's a late autumn day. Her redundant sunglasses are tucked up in her bright pink hair. The tourist season is winding down, but after coffee in a cafe in the lanes, buying a bag of sugar-sprinkled donuts on the way, she takes him to the beach, where they've always gone since over a decade ago, when he began visiting her in uni. At the back of the beach, children play on a trampoline and swings. In the distance, a boy in a T-shirt chases a ball across the water, accosted by a smaller boy, perhaps his little brother. Over by the pier, a man in a small dinghy launches into the ocean. It looks so fragile, Neil thinks. That tiny bit of rubber. Surely he'll capsize before too long. All that vast, endless sea. The shingle is copper, grey, white and black, mixed with sand. People sit on mounds in loose arrangements. Twosomes. A boy and girl reclining into each other as if half of the same clamshell, ready to shut in on themselves. Two young men, smoking rollies, 
a large case of tiny beer bottles set on the pebbles beside them. Foursome sit in circles, warming themselves devotedly around the strange new campfires of disparate mobile phones. The must-have accessory in this turn-of-the-century year, 1999. It's the sort of day where it's warm if you walk, but freezing if you sit too long. But sit they do, as they always used to, and he instantly feels like he belongs again. They recline beside one another, heads heaving against rucksacks, looking up at the sky, chattering excitedly. To Neil's left, he catches sight of the pier, its bright mosaic tiles and its candy-striped helter-skelter. The clock tower and its four faces, which seem to have no hands, as though time does not exist here or is immaterial. Or four possibilities are happening at once and you just have to choose which one you want. Later, they'll go clubbing. So different here than in his hometown, with its one gay Sunday night in a room above a pub. Monochrome clientele. Someone on the TV once called Grangetown a white ghetto. One Sunday night he met a man in the pub, cute, who he wanted to take somewhere else on a date, somewhere new. Let's ring gay switchboard, the man had suggested. They'll know somewhere else we can go. But the friendly volunteer on the end of the line had laughed, the warmest bemusement Neil had ever witnessed. <laughs> Jesus, you wouldn't choose Middlesbrough if you wanted any sort of great gay social life. Cue Morgafors. Oops, no, wait. This club does a night every other month. They had all three laughed then. Though there was a serious side they knew all too well the pretending to be just mates in public, the danger of getting queer-bashed. Neil sighs, splits the last donut and feeds half to Bex, who's reeling off the drinks she'd like to down this evening. Gulls strut territorially on the shingle, launch themselves into a chiaroscuro sky. The man in the small dinghy is but a tiny dot now, as he ventures past the end of the pier. No sign of turbulence at all. Wow. You don't need a ship, Neil thinks. Just the will to set out on adventure. To be free. Dear Wellsbourne, Culvert, Anacrostic. Chalk hills absorb you in their fair-weather flings, then set you free. Underground now, you are not lost, hidden or intermittent, but a line, a serrated line, both your presence and absence define. A valley, not to dolls, kings or nomenclature of lilies, environmental threat, they say, of floods rising in Patcham. Your reputation precedes you. They call you a big black river, but the truth is, you're a stream bursting beyond their sewer mentality. Brighton Rocks Part 2 From Patcham to Pool Valley and Beyond Beck splutters from sleep as if emerging from a lake. 
a body being fished from the shallows, reanimated, revived, a ruff of green algae around her neck. Eleven years she's lived here since she moved from Massachusetts to study politics at Sussex Uni, and this is the worst nightmare she's ever had. She listens to see if Neil is awakened next door with the sound of her gasp, but all she hears are the deafening ticks of her alarm clock. In Boston, she'd had a part-time job in a small provincial bookshop. She'd go there after school or on weekends and count the hours until the next bohemian arrived, who she could strike up a conversation with. Now she sells books once more, to the great unwashed of Brighton. Local liberals, asylum seekers and immigrants. And graduates like her who like to keep their minds busy. Free from the troubles of former identities. Lives where they couldn't be themselves. Free. Or safe. Or real. In the dream which has wrestled her from her sleep. Which features memories she now knows must be real. She's only just reached her teens. She still has puppy fat, retainer braces and long pigtails, not the bright pink spiky hair she sports today. Him. He's maybe in his thirties, with his wandering, coarse hands, and says repeating what they've done would be bad. For both of them, he claims but mostly for her. And he seems sure about that, listing just for starters a few likely consequences. There are other flashing memories coming back now. A door being bolted. The silence. The being told to hush again. Culverted. The memory was culverted. But all these years later, tonight, last night, Freed by the love of old friends, by the beauty of this life she's made for herself. Her subconscious had forgotten those thinly veiled threats. Even now, as she stares into the darkness of her bedroom, polite women in Regency dresses of the kind which used to wander the steam, clutching their parasols and nodding politely, urge her to forget the memory a second time. Culvert it, they say. It's easier that way. Whom will you find to marry you? For it is 1800, and the stream which used to run by the old steen is gone, bricked off at George IV's say-so, leaving no trace, only neat rectangles of grass, the heir of the civilised, a coin which bears oppression on its obverse side. Bex blinks again. The darkness of the room grows woozy, then static again. Now she sees the steen as it is today in 1999. Smart, modern-day girls on rollerblades, practising their turns by St Peter's Church. The boys on their skateboards, their impressive flips and reverse flips, and languorous, middle-aged friends sat on the grass, sharing beer cans and chips. Find out, the girls say, so free in their shorts and crop tops and leggings making their turns again, tottering precariously. Think of the things we fight for each day. No culverting. And it is a winter morning, after all. Just at the turn of the 21st century, and what has lain dormant, winterborne only, is getting ready to flood the world. Bex's eyes blur. 
No borders as the memory seeps over the edge of her bed. Down the stairs, across the step, along the London road to the chalky coast, into the channel and across the Atlantic, where it begins to swim in the cold, choppy waters. Instinct fighting for survival. No culverting. Tomorrow morning, there will be commuter chaos. Trains won't be able to pass through Patcham or the surrounding stations. She'll tell Neil all about the dream as they share hangovers, toast and a lazy day. Eh, Petal, you're not on your own, he'll say. You know you can tell me out. We'll sort it together. The local headlines will read, Floods. The Wellsbourne rises again. Dear Wellsbourne, the origins of culvert, a portmanteau word. Cull, an attempt to contain nature's dominating life force. Often applied to foxes and badgers and grey, though not red, squirrels, under the guise of maintaining balance, though it's humans who've tipped the scale. Vert, greenness, newness, freshness, turning in new directions, as in subvert, divert, revert. What's held in always ends up on the surface of things. Dear Wellsborn, to the rarely and barely seen, Take heart, all the best things appear infrequently. Consider the night blooming Sirius, once a year, the glory of its non-reproductive parts. Periamp, sepal, petals, blazing with colour, candescence. Its drag names, Honolulu Queen, princess of the night, but always royal. They say your name for whalesbone the invisible frame which holds the grand dress in place. Brighton Rocks Part 3 and back to Patcham. The next time Neil visits, it's Bex's birthday. He's bought her a choker, tourmaline crystal on a leather string, to provide healing and protection. I haven't done anything yet about the dream and, and all that, she says. Do you want to talk about it? He says, it's, it's no bother, our kid. Get out of here, she says. You're trying to mess up my mascara, softy. But she grabs his hands so tight, he knows she's glad he's here. Might need his ear later, if they can be mithered after all that wine. Tomorrow they'll go for a walk. Somewhere on the South Downs along trails and cliffs, spot the local wildlife and forget about things. It's like wandering in the world's biggest garden. Bex loves it there. It's full-on winter, but they travel from Patcham into Brighton Centre, where a gaggle of her friends have booked a long, thin table. They all seem to know each other and treat each birthday as a sort of reunion. Happy 30th, they say, and sing the birthday song, the Stevie Wonder version in a warm but ironic way. Cakes are whisked out, candles are blown, drinks guzzled to wash down fine seafood. The conversation's even better than the food and the wine, thinks Neil. These fine people who've been out and militant most of their adult lives. 
and there's been one guy he's been watching all evening who he thinks he likes, with golden brown skin and dark brown eyes, who seems to be looking back, a smile fixed to his lips. He's slightly too far away to engage one-on-one, but he sings a mean Brazilian folk song a cappella, and his coming-out tales are hilarious. Later, as coats are found, armholes fumbled for blindly. Brown eyes winks archly. His name is Paolo, he tells Neil. So, are you not inviting me back to yours then? I, I don't live here, says Neil in Brighton, but you're welcome to come back to Bex's. In the darkened streets of Patcham, as the four of them walk back to the flat, the two men, Bex and her girlfriend... Paolo tells them about a river, rumoured to run underground, all the way from Patcham to Brighton Centre at Pool Valley. The Wellsbourne, apparently. Right, says Neil shyly. So where around here did it start exactly? Paolo winks at a passage by the shops. Somewhere in that alley over there. They stumble off towards it. And for the first time... They kiss. A comfortable yet stomach-fluttering thing, the two girls laughing at them. Get a room, says Bex. I'll have to start charging you. The four of them stay up late into the night, getting on like the proverbial house on fire, until Bex makes an overblown yawn. Um, I think us two are after bed now. You're welcome to stay, Paolo. Neil smiles awkwardly, though Bex has saved him a job. Have you got rum? asks Paolo, because I make a mean hot toddy. They fold down the couch together, hold each other as they fall asleep. But Neil knows, somewhere in the dark his overnight bag awaits. It's zip with its one-eyed stare, bare-faced. Tomorrow he goes home to the one-horse town, to the family he hasn't come out to. Yet. This life, he thinks. Nights like this. Friends I love. This bright, shining thing. I I can't keep backing it away again. Dear Wellsborn, if you love something, culvert it. If it comes back, A, it was yours, though not your fault. B. You lack dexterity or assertiveness. C. Don't tell anyone. Keep it between us. If it doesn't, A. Don't gaslight your footsteps or B. Live in denial about what you remember or C. Oh, but it will come back, she interjects. Brighton Rocks Part 4. From Here to Eternity. The last time Neil comes, it's summer. The city is one bright balloon, fluttering in the sky on the fragile string of the stream running beneath it, along the length of the London road. The town heaves with people all wanting the same things. Escape, relaxation, unity, celebration, the right to difference. Bodies of all sizes and colours, wearing all sizes and colours, festooned streets of all lengths and descriptions. Gender meanders in all directions, giddy with freedom. 
There is food, drink, marching, dancing. Grown men hold each other's hands like so much bunting strewn out along the streets. Drag queens march taller than life. Everyone, everywhere seems proud of this city, even those who've come to visit. Even shy boys from one gay horse towns get to join in with the mares and the stallions galloping freely, the wild mustangs tossing their manes in abundant sunshine. He stays two weeks. The balance of his annual leave at the telesales company. They do pride, they do protest marches, naked bike rides. Well, Bex does, and he watches gamely. But finally the day has arrived. Neil's ticket home is booked, and the coach leaves at five. He can't pinpoint why, but it's felt extra special this time. His feet are heavy. She takes him to Pool Valley Station again. They kiss goodbye, and she toddles off to the grass by the pavilion to swallow cold soda and the imminent need to cry. Beside the double-decker coach, the driver asks the travellers to form a straight line. Where are you going? He asks Neil. He means which stop, but the question seems more profound than that. Neil is just about to surrender his ticket, when at last that feeling finally rises up. He too, like that mythical river, stops mid-flow. This is what he, without a doubt, now knows in this moment. If he gets on that coach now and goes back to Middlesbrough, to that one-trick pony town, he'll stay there forever. Somewhere seated on the grass, Bex watches the coach drive past, heading out of town. She misses him more than ever now. And then she spots him, running towards her, his arms outstretched. Of course you can stay till you find some place, she says. We haven't even folded up the sofa bed yet. And to tell the truth, the, the other thing, the dream and all that, I'm ready to talk about it. Neil unloads his bag and they flop down on the grass. The next day, they'll visit the South Downs again and two letters will be posted from Patcham on the way. One to Massachusetts. Dear Aunt Fran, it'll say. I know it's been a long time since those childhood holidays and it's, it's strange to be writing this. And then a postcard of the pavilion slipped in an envelope to Middlesbrough, Northern England. Dear sister, here are the keys to my flat. I've only been there a week. There's not much worth keeping, but the kettle's pretty canny in that. Empty it. The flat, I mean, not, not the kettle. Take what you can and give the keys to the landlord pet. Only I'm not coming back. Dear Wellsbourne, some rumours about you. You are the bearer of diabolical ashes. Writers, artists. You don't exist anymore. Town planners, cynics. You likely never existed. Eminent archaeologist. Meanwhile, you run beneath the seams of this town, upholding its framework, though no one ever thanks you. Carrying its dreams like so much precious plankton. A lie rages 
the truth is a quiet thing. Dear Wellsborn, the things you are. A remnant of early worlds. The tears of the bone woman over her fragile lover. Invisible to those whose third eyes are closed. Descendant of sandstone and melted down glaciers. The deep sighs of the rain welling up, up. A baptism pool for those who crave resurrection. A ghost, a secular ghost. If you have been affected by any of the issues reflected in this story, there is support and helpline information available from the following organisations. Stonewall at stonewall.org.uk or the Survivors Trust at thesurvivorstrust.org. Dear Wellsborn, Brighton Rocks was written by Mary Williams and read by Rosanna Lowe and Mary Williams. It was commissioned and produced by Applause in partnership with the South Downs National Park Authority. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. There are nine more podcasts for you to enjoy, so please subscribe to this series.